I'm Dr. Gene Hemsler, and you're listening to Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running and most respected money show on radio. For more than 25 years, my associates and I have been providing straightforward, no-nonsense advice for your financial questions. Email us at drgene at hemsler.com. That's D-R-G-E-N-E at H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R dot com. This broadcast of Money Talks originally aired Saturday, December 22nd, 2018. The economic health of this nation has been four essential economic freedoms. The excessive decline in the dollar is It's a late rally on Wall Street. Too big to fail. Growing the economy. Growing the economy. It's amazing what's been going on with the economy. Welcome. Welcome. This is Money Talk. Money Talk. Well, good morning out there on the airwaves. This is Jacob Keene. With Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running, most respected money show on the radio. And we got a full house here, guys. I'm here with uh, managing associate Shauna Therialt. She got <laughs> on to job. me about that. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, associate Peter Lynch, both from our planning and implementation team. And uh, we're here to kind of... Jump things off, guys. I mean, it's been a crazy week. What I don't did know you do if you... to the market? I, <laughs> I knew <laughs> it was people coming. People have been calling, and <laughs> this, this doesn't look good. What are it, you doing down there? It, it, wasn't, it wasn't me. In, <laughs> That's in what fact, they all today, say. Today, um, if we want to get right into it, we had a Fed meeting. What happened? Because I haven't heard so yet. So they, they raised No, they rate. didn't. As expected, right? Did they do that? That was the expectation. No, quarter? Yeah. Yeah, 25 basis points. Really? So um, So how long does that take to fill in the economy? A couple months? A couple days? Um, yeah, basically immediately for the banks. Okay. Um, it, and as, as far as kind of how it changes, you know, different aspects of the economy. we've been talking economy, about the yield curve, right? Yeah. It's, it, so what the do you, yield curve has flattened a bit. Again? Okay. Right, right. As of today, we're still not inverted, but it has flattened. And if you look at kind of like the long end of the treasury curve, it didn't move much at all today, but the short rates, of course, did move with the Fed hiking rate. Which, and I that, think which the, that's what happens when it inverts, right? So how long, I mean, is, is it, since they did this, is it possible that in the next month, two months, we're going to start seeing that inversion now because they did this, or were well, we already heading there anyway? Well, um, I think they're... I think their expectation um, now is for two hikes in the coming year. Really? Before this meeting, it was three hikes in the coming year. They've moved that down to two hikes. Okay. So was um, that positive then for the market? What happened? I'd, no. I, I'd, say, I'd say it's, it's <laughs> one of those weird, weird situations where it was kind of a do- dovish hike. Mm-hmm. Maybe the market not, was up today. Maybe not dovish enough. For the market, because following the meeting, we've seen some selling. In fact, we, uh, we hit a new low for the year following the meeting. Did we really? It's going to take a day or two to digest. I, 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 always think, I always think, you know, the action right after a Fed meeting is dominated by, you know, high-frequency trading. So it's going to take Well, a, I think that anyway. When you see those huge dips, ups and downs, it's just oh, it's, it's it's trauma trading. Crazy volatile, crazy volatile. And with the markets seen. being... Closed, we are going to probably have more volatility than I'm guessing for the holidays. Well, they don't really close, do they? 
Well, obviously, too. You can make an argument both ways. You, you would expect volumes to be down, so if right. someone wanted to go crazy, <laughs> they can they can make a move whichever way they want. Uh, I I guess. Um, but I I kind of feel like I I kind of feel like coming into this meeting, uh, the market was kind of like calling the Fed's bluff, saying I don't think you're going to hike because we mm-hmm. saw the expectations. Mm-hmm. Because the market from went like up and then went down. Above 90% for a hike at this meeting to below 70% going into the meeting. And they still push forward. It sounds like the way the press conference has gone, basically, it's, it's, it's a two-story, it's a two-story uh, environment right now that the economy is doing well. doesn't seem like Jay Powell really cares that much about the financial markets, just chalking it up to... Volatility, of course, that's not maybe necessarily what we want to hear. <laughs> right, right, right. But uh, I, I think. Well, I mean, I mean if you look at the economy, the unemployment's still low. Companies are still doing well. I mean, that that does call for a rate hike, you know, generally, right? I right. Mean, just to yeah, curve yeah, and, yeah. yeah. And, so. and and I think what what's kind of what what's kind of strange about the situation that we're in right now is it's not really it's not really a U.S. story. So the Fed's job, even though as globalization has, you know, grown and the global economy becomes more interconnected, the Fed's job is to manage the U.S. economy. Right. Right. And I think a lot of what we've seen coming into, you know, the end of the year or, you know, in 2018 as a whole, is a lot of the global growth expectations coming down. That's not really a U.S. story. That's more emerging markets, developed markets. And if you look at their equity markets, I mean, there. They've not been mm-hmm. doing well. Right? No, they have not. They've been not doing well. So it's a sort of thing where it's like, if you're the Fed chair, do you take that into consideration and mm-hmm. say, well, things aren't great in China or things aren't great in France or Italy, so we're gonna we're gonna hold the reins back. And I think you can make an know, argument both ways. People are probably ways. looking for them not to do that just because the market has been going down, right? So we're down for the year. So we're thinking maybe they're not going to do it because then we're, you know, signaling recession if we do it because you could invert the yield curve. If well, by pushing by increasing rates, right, if it right. forces an inverted right. yield curve, which right. signals typically a recession yeah. in the next yeah. six to eighteen months. I mean, I think maybe people are thinking they weren't going to do it because the market's down, and you know, I've heard grumblings of that. So. True. 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 <laughs> And and the other the other the other thing that I've kind of been thinking about is you've had oil oil is below fifty now and that's kind of an input into the whole inflation. I mean we've got wage growth that's two point nine percent, but if you look at you know some of these higher frequency things like oil, like how much does it cost to fill right. the gas tank? It I mean, hasn't. It's no. inflation expectations have come down. So it's kind of with mixed. these things, and there's always the wild card of you know what's going to happen with tariffs. I mean we basically just move that that down the road a few months but as far as uh getting into it uh, a little bit as far as what the data uh what what data came through this week besides the fed meeting which i feel like the big news today uh, even though this is being recorded for saturday yeah 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 yeah. um we did have retail sales uh friday of last week um overall retail sales rose 0.2% 0.2% in November. So re- it's again, but we're we keep talking that. about the consumer is strong, consumer confidence is high, retail sales is chugging along. It's the holidays though. And 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 then you move into you move into industrial production. Uh, we're at a 
uh, year over year gain in that. It was 0.6% in November, so we're cranking out <laughs> widgets. <laughs> 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 and the other thing is uh, part of part of kind of the conversation that I I feel like we kind of had moving into last year and this year is when's the whole up uptick in capex going to come? We got these tax cuts. We got all these businesses that are flush with cash. When is the capex going to come? Well, we've got capacity utilization that's still not towards the upper threshold. We're off the top of my head. I want to say we're probably about 78 right now, but it's, that's up 2% year over year. So if you think about uh, are our factories full to the brim? Do we have to build more? We're not really at that point, but we're seeing some progress there, at least in this. Um, and the the other thing is kind of like the other thing basically this week that we saw, and it's kind of good news amongst bad news, is if you look at some of the housing data. So housing starts, we got a nice little recovery. It increased 3.2% uh, in the mm -hmm. month, month over month, but it's still 3.6% below the year-ago level. And the same thing can be said for Existing home sales, uh, we saw a 1.9% gain from October, but we're down 7% year over year. Is that just so, because of the time of year, or is that because interest rates keep going up? Well, both. We don't. I think both. Because right. Cost of you, labor too. Cost of goods. That's yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, my my take would be it's it's really a rate story. It's really a rate story. Right. If, right. if you think of where mortgage rates were a year ago, right? They were a good bit lower. Well. Part of, you know, and that's why when you ask me about what does this mean for rates, it depends on what part of the curve you're talking about because rates down on the long end of the curve, well, that actually buoys housing. You, well, you know? and if wages are up and people have cut taxes, they're still making more. So even if interest rates have gone up, they still have more money in their pocket, right? So right. they can afford maybe a little bit of a higher interest rate. Right. And right. historically, interest rates are still low. Overall. Oh, yeah. So yeah. maybe they just buy a just little like, bit less just house. Like just because the market's down doesn't mean that the market is still up, like where we were, obviously, from the recovery. Yeah. Right. yeah. So it's right. not, you and know, people are, oh, the market's falling, interest rates are going up. Well, we're still up, and the interest rates are still low, to your point. Right. Right. And, and the other thing to keep in mind, and, and it's something that um, something that we, st we started to see an uptick in as of late, is basically after 2008, we saw the home ownership rate dr drop dramatically to levels that it hadn't been in a long time. And we're just now coming into, you know, this past year or two, starting to see a reversal in that where people are starting to opt to purchase a home instead of rent, mm -hmm. if you think of, you know, all the Well, they're past the seven years, but then, yeah, right. They're past the seven years their, if they, you know, hurt their credit. But right. you're right. The, we have something else happening. So millennials are coming in, and they're like, they don't want to buy houses. They want to rent. Right, they don't right. want to be stuck. But you know? I, I think there's like a... Or they have student loans and they can't, yeah. right? But I think it's just a matter of time. Right. You know? Clearly. Yeah. I <laughs> Some think people so. are going to live in an apartment forever, but I think for most people, it's just a matter of time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I agree. Completely agree with that. All right, guys. Well, uh, I guess we'll go ahead and... That seems like a nice stop and off point. We'll go ahead and take a break here. Um, you're listening to Money Talks. We'll be right back after the break. It's time for the Dog of the Week. 
right, guys, we are back here on Money Talks. You I'm don't here. dance as much as Troy does. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Troy's like the chair dancer. You didn't dance really at all, Jacob. You have to. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Got to plug one for Troy, you know. Next, I'll I'll find a song on. I'm not sure if I like the beat to? on that one. You know, I'm more of a slow dance kind of guy. <laughs> 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 really, I didn't know you yeah. were romantic. That's cute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As right. it turns bright red. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well. uh uh, I'm here with Sean and Peter, and, and Peter, I, I take you as a, a sportsman, right? Uh, some sports. Okay, okay. I got, I got a couple stories here for you that I think might be right up your alley. So we got first one, first one. We got a Missouri man who now must watch Bambi monthly as part of his poaching punishment. See, I could yeah. see you watching Disney movies and not oh, really being into sports. I, you're very I do sensitive. watch Disney you're movies. You're sensitive like Jacob is a slow dancer. Nice. So, nice. so what did this guy do that he's <laughs> so got to watch Bambi he, every month? He apparently violated all sorts of, you know, uh, game, I don't know what you call licensing it. Licensing rules or something? Licensing rules. Apparently, apparently killed uh, somewhere in the territory of 150 uh, deer and basically just led, left a dead carcass there. Took the head off. Sorry for the uplifting story. <laughs> we got a we got a funnier one coming up. But I just I just thought it was funny to think of this guy sitting in 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 jail having to watch Bambi. And which with uh, which country was this in? This was in Missouri. Oh, in Missouri. This was in That's Missouri. That's in wow. his own country. <laughs> in the United States. Wow. So, I was actually born in Missouri. That's kind of scary. We got another hunting-related one, right? In another uh, M state. This is. I, sh- I should probably let you guys guess. Another M state. Minnesota. Michigan. There's a bunch of M states. Massachusetts. Right. Michigan, Minnesota, Mon- Montana. Montana. Oh. Great hunting. Great. That is hunting. Oh, yeah. That would Great make sense. Hunting. That would yeah. make more sense then. So <laughs> we've got basically here we've got a 27-year-old man from Helena um, who's, who dived for cover after several bullets landed near him. It turned out that there was another man who mistook him for Bigfoot. <laughs> Bigfoot. Was he hairy or something? <laughs> well, he wasn't wearing orange, apparently. <laughs> but some of these quotes, some of these quotes are, are just great. Uh, the, the man who fired the shots, Dutton, said, I don't target practice, but if I see something that looks like Bigfoot, I just shoot at it. <laughs> Makes sense. Wow. <laughs> and what was surprising is the man who was shot at just kind of brushed it off, didn't even report it till the Monday after the weekend, and never pressed any charges. So he was like, yeah, it could have been Bigfoot. It feels like a normal occurrence in I Montana. Mean, <laughs> maybe it is. Maybe that's where Bigfoot really is. I, I, I feel like if you had to guess what state Bigfoot is in, it would probably Montana. be yeah, Montana. Does it say somewhere. how tall that guy was? No, but... I'm guessing he's pretty tall. I don't must know. Be pretty we tall. hope so. Either that it was somebody really after him with a good excuse. I don't right. know. And it wasn't a big deal to him to be shot at. <laughs> All right. Well, a little bit of humor for you guys. Um, but let's uh, let's get it. it it's, it's a crazy time right now. And uh, I, I think we've, we've, you guys have told me you've had some 
some questions from clients, we've got a case study here that kind of pertains to, you know, the environment we're in. We've got Todd, who's 48, and he has AGI of $220,000. And Todd, he's very hands-on with his financial plan. Um, he's heard many news outlets and market pundits say that we're in a late expansion economy, and he's definitely concerned about how his money is positioned in the market for the next downturn. Is there a way to recession-proof your portfolio, and what moves should investors take now? So I know I'm going to have a little bit different perspective from you guys, but I'll, I'll let you guys take it away to start, and I'll kind of chime in as you go along. I think one of the, one of the big things you don't want to do is have to sell in a down market where you're locking in some guaranteed losses. Um, and there, there are some things you can do to recession-proof, but I think the bigger picture is making sure that your risk tolerance is still where it needs to be. So it might be a good idea to sit down with an advisor and look at what your risk tolerance is and then go from there, not necessarily react to what the economy is doing, but make sure that your uh, your risk is where it should be and that your asset allocation is where it should be. But for someone like Todd, who's 48, I would say if you're not within 10 years of retirement, this is a buying opportunity, right? So to your point, make sure you have the right risk tolerance. I don't know that you want to take huge risks during, you know, we talked about overseas, that they're not doing that well, you know, and looking at over allocating to international, small, mid cap, et cetera, but really looking at a high quality, but it's a buying opportunity if the market dips because right. you're buying at lower prices. So for someone like Todd, who's 48, you know, make sure you have enough set aside that if you do lose your job, you have that emergency reserve. So you have enough to live off of so that you don't have to sell in a down market like you explained. Um, you, you know, but really it's a buying opportunity. So make sure, you know, depending on what industry you work in, um, you know, if it's recession proof or if you're worried about that, then make sure you have a lot of cash reserves to live off of if, you know, they do downsize. Um, but really just adjust your portfolio to be able to take on more growth in that regard if you're still saving. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing to keep in mind is um, with volatility, I mean, not everything's moving together. I mean, we like to think of uh, what is the S&P 500 done, but um, down in research, I mean, one of the things that we really benefit from is if, if you look back, you guys, you guys remember 2017 it was a great year. Market basically went all all up in unison, not a lot of down days. But not every class, not every, no. yeah, was up. Right, right. So that's where, that's where I kind of think about the opportunities being. So while, while, it might not be the best buying opportunity for the broad market. I think there's a lot of individual stock opportunities out there. I'm seeing cheap stocks everywhere. But to circle back, Peter, to one of the things that you said as far as, as, far as figuring out your risk tolerance, well, let's think about what that really looks like because there's a lot of different opportunities as far as how you build out your asset allocation and what that means. So if you think about the broad market, you're thinking about, I'm going to start getting the math for you guys, standard deviation of 15%, let's say, 15 to 18%. So that means 95% of the time within a given year, your, your account is not going to move more than 30% in one direction or the other. That's a pretty safe base case. There's, there's, you can get in dividend-paying stocks that are going to be you know, 12% 12 compared to the 15%, or you can get in small-mid stocks that are going to be 18% compared to 15%. And if you diversify across that, ideally you're going to be b below market in your risk as a whole. 
but the thing to keep in mind is that what what you're saying by saying recession proof your portfolio i don't i don't know if that's even possible because you would have to take such little risk that your growth in the end is going to be you impede your growth yeah it's going to be abysmal and market declines are part of investing right markets can always go up even though we've gotten quite used to it it is part of the normal cycle right and and i think i think if you detach yourself for a moment from whatever the price of a stock you own or the price of the market as a whole and you focus on the fundamentals of a business and that that is the true value then you you get a little bit you get a little bit truer investment outcomes because the price of a given stock can fluctuate wildly i mean there's there's businesses that we own that we've seen lose 20% of their value gain 20% of their value in, over the course of a year yet earnings were very consistently growing at let's say 5%. So it's just sentiment changing in the margin and really like Shauna said before if if you do have if if you do have businesses that you believe in that are not over leveraged they they don't have way too much debt they have a strong track record of of consistent and growing earnings ideally for the most part unless they're high growth stocks pay you something in a dividend if you if you solely invest in that strong quality companies and you get them at attractive valuations and your investment outcomes are going to are going to be recession proof so to so to speak without any worry about as long as you've managed to your your financial plan and you have liquidity right. that you may need in in an emergency then don't worry about what the price is next year or the year after that. Right. Let's are worry the, about what it's going to be when you're 65, 70. Exactly. So are the fundamentals still there? That's exa- exactly what you just mentioned. Is the company still yeah. fundamentally sound? Um, and, you know, stocks have outperformed pretty much every other asset class over the long term. Um, but there there is going to be some volatility, and we kind of just have to get used to right. it right now. Right, yeah. And with, uh, we expect, as we are we recognize that we're in a late cycle environment. We expect right. volatility to continue. We got a little spoiled last year. This year has been <laughs> starting uh, to see yeah. it a little really, bit. Really, yeah. for many, many years we've been spoiled, really. True. Yeah. We have True. not seen a negative return True. in quite some time. All right, well, we can expand upon this, guys, but uh, let's take a break to pay some bills. This is Money Talks. We'll be right back. I've been trying to do it right I've been living a lonely life I've been sleeping here instead A little bit of Hootie and the Blowfish there. I don't know if you guys recognize that, but... Did not. It's good stuff. Yeah, Hootie... I've already done yeah. my story yeah. on Hootie before, haven't I? Should I do it again? No, I'll skip it. We'll skip it. <laughs> We're back on Money Talks, guys. We're back on Money Talks. That's not about money. <laughs> and uh, we left you. We we left you off. We were talking about Todd or case studies. He's trying to recession-proof his portfolio. And I guess kind of what we were saying is let's focus on buying quality stocks. Let's think about your risk tolerance, set a financial plan. If you're 48, you probably shouldn't be worried about anything other than 
you know, your, your savings need. The, the, the one little thing that I would add is, um, just from my perspective, there are some things you can do to be tactical. And I've kind of hinted at that a little bit in saying, yeah, you can you, – not every, not every sector, not every stock goes up at the same time, so you can find stocks that are better opportunities than others. I mean, you look at – we didn't cover it, but you look at – what was it this week, Sean? It was like 6%. Or, or on the year, utilities were up six percent. Market as a whole is down six percent. Right. So that's, that's about kind the of, diversification. Yeah, that's kind of that, that's kind of what what we do in in research. We find ways to be tactical to find sectors that we think are attractive, and a lot of what we focus on is buying attractively valued companies or sectors. And I, I think the other. The other thing that we're not really hitting on is what if someone was in retirement? Exactly, because, you know, as we talked about in the last segment, we were talking about it's a buying opportunity, but if people are in retirement saying, well, it's not a buying opportunity for me, what do I do? And it's something we talked about earlier, and it's having enough liquidity set aside. We know that there's going to be market ups and downs. There's going to be market cycles. There's a, Throughout history, if you look back, there's market cycles. And so having enough to live off of set aside for those withdrawal needs, so you know, typically in retirement, you know what your income is, social security, pension, whatever that is, then, you know, what you spend. So you can look at, okay, there's a shortfall I have to take from somewhere, right? Because in retirement, you're typically spending and not saving. Um, So having enough set aside, you know, our firm looks at a 10-year rule, if you will. Um, We look at how much do we project you need to have over 10 years to live off of uh, because if you look back over the history of the stock market, there's 88 rolling 10-year periods and only two times during that 88 rolling 10-year periods did the market, if you put your money in year one and you get to year 10, did it not return something or have your money higher than it was? Um, so that's a 98% um, you know, differential or, or guarantee, not a guarantee, but a 98% probability that your money will be higher. And so the idea is having enough money set aside to live off of while we go through these market cycles so that you don't have to sell in a down market, to your point, Peter. Yeah, exactly. And and you just made me think of something while we kind of close this up, is so we've got CDs yielding what almost three percent, three and a half. Right? Yeah, it depends on how you have so three years, three percent. Even if I told you, so if if we go back to the person that's not in retirement, even if I told you, oh, we're late cycle, the return expectations probably aren't as great as they were. We're talking about we do ten percent right. in a normal year in right. equities. Well, we've averaged average, you know, high teens this cycle. What if I say? Moving forward, maybe you're going to get five or six percent annualized return. Well, that's still good, right? Because when you look at that, what you're but getting, but when you look a, at the average, that is still good. When you're compared to what you're getting in bonds right now, so right. unless you need the money, I guess what we're saying is stay invested. Well, well, guys, we like to take questions uh, on the show, um, so you can send us your questions. Um, you can call us. Direct at uh, toll-free, uh, 1-855-429-9166. You can also email Dr. Gene, that's D-R-G-E-N-E, at hensler.com. That's two S's. Um, or if you need a little bit more personal touch, you can get us at 770-429-9166. And we got a bunch of questions today, guys. Um, let's start off with uh, Kayla from Cartersville. She's asking, do I really need to pull my credit report? I've only had two credit cards 
and one was tied to my parents' account. My boss at my job seems to think I should be checking my credit report regularly. I'm only 21. How much could really be on my report? Well, before I turn it over to you guys, good on you for being 21 and having a job. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right. Right. I give her I give her good prime point. credit for that. <laughs> so uh, how often uh, I guess it's going to depend on age for certain people or what are what are the things that we we think about when we advise on, you know, checking credit, guys? I think the uh the nice thing is now you can check your credit for free. So typically you want to do it at least once a year. Um, there's one official website sponsored by the federal government. It's annualcreditreport.com. So you can get a free credit report from three, all three of the major credit reporting agencies. Um, and it's always a good idea because at some point, even though she's 21, she may want to make a larger purchase, a home, a car. And you don't want to be surprised when you go in there and find out that maybe somebody has used your social security number and opened up some credit and and damage your credit rating. So so checking it, just like you would go to the doctor, even if nothing's wrong, you go to the doctor for a checkup, you want to check your credit. So it's important. It's important. And and like I said, you can do it for free now. Yeah, and if you if if you knew that there was some discrepancy, then there's things you can do to fix that, right? Uh, yeah, there are. And the thing is, once you find out something's wrong, it can take time to fix that. I mean, it can take months, it could take years. So you don't want to be surprised and you do want to just right. stay on and top of it. You don't want to do it when you go to pull credit to buy a house. Exactly. That would be bad. It, it would. It, it, you, it, yeah, it would be too late at it's, that point. It's going to stop you from buying that house. So even if you don't have credit per se, you know, you want to make sure no one else is using your credit. Right. Okay. Right. All right. So don't check it every hour. <laughs> right. Check it for free once a year. And, and it, employers you, check credit too. So maybe she changes right. jobs at some point. Uh, it's part of your. It's part of the background check that they do. So you want to make sure that nothing negative is on there as well. Okay, that's that's good info. All right. Um, looks like we got another question here, guys. We got Roy from Johns Creek. He says, "I got in on Alibaba probably a lot sooner than I should have, but it was the Chinese Amazon that that was destined to take off, and it did from where I bought it. But now we're on a steady decline since May." Is this normal market fluctuations or a sign that I need to get out? Well, Roy, let's talk Alibaba for a second. I think looking across the, the tech space as, as far as as far as uh, assessing valuations, competitive positioning, Alibaba is probably one of the more attractive tech names out there. They've, of course, got their nice established core retail business. They've expanded into um, uh, cloud data. They've expanded some of their retail operation into Southeast Asia. They've had a a logistics joint venture. Um, They're in mobile payments now. So they got their hands in. It's like a nice play on the Chinese economy as a whole. Um, And I think I think they have a really established business in in the, in that cloud computing that I don't think Amazon uh or Tencent or any of the other competitors are going to be able to compete with them just cuz they have the first mover advantage as far as margins go. But the 
question remains, do you want that exposure to China? And that's why I'd be kind of hesitant, because when I'm looking at China as a whole right now, I'm seeing a, a country that just posted its worst GDP growth in 20 years as a currency that devalued 10% in the past year, um, has seen their debt to GDP grow to 275%, which that compares to the U.S. at 107%, so highly leveraged. They've had this massive growth, but right now they're kind of trying to manage a soft landing. And I feel like, guys, Trump's, <laughs> Trump's throwing a wrench into that plan a little bit with these tariffs. Um, so I guess it's, it's really a question of do you have a firm belief in the company and, and roll with the punches as far as whatever happens with how China kind of manages their way through this tough economic time? Or do you wait for an opportunity to perhaps buy it cheaper? Because your margin of safety at 40 times earnings is not the same as if you're able to buy it at 25 or 20. Anything to add, guys? I think I think P, uh, Peter look, looks like he wants to add something. <clears throat> well, no, I think um, it, it's just one of those things where, like you said, people want to compare it to Amazon because it's been called the Chinese Amazon. Um, they're very well diversified, but yeah, they're, the Chinese economy has is going to have a big impact on them as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and the, the other little tidbit that I find in, interesting because. We always think of ourselves as far more developed here in the States, right? But if you look at e-commerce penetration, the Chinese are buying stuff online more so than we are. As far as total total retail sales go, I, I want to say their e-commerce penetration is over 20%. Um, so maybe that – maybe I don't know. Maybe you could make an argument that that's a headwind, that, that they've already had that benefit. But I, I see that as a tailwind. All right, guys, we're going to have to take another break. Um, we'll be right back with Money Talks. What's up, guys? We're back here with Money Talks. Um, we're answering questions like we normally do, but if you're new to the show and you're shy, you can call and leave a question on our hotline at one 429 9166 or if you want to talk to a human, if you're not shy, you can get us at 770-429-9166, or if you just don't even want to actually use your voice, um, you can use your fingers and get us at drgene at hensler.com. That's Dr. Gene without a dot in it. <laughs> That'd be dr. Gene. Um, and that's Hensler with two S's. And uh, I, guess we're, I guess we're on to a new question, guys. We kind of wrapped it up there with Alibaba. Um, let's, uh, let's go to uh, Avery and Blake from Marietta. They say, we recently read something about using a college net price calculator. Can you explain what that is and how we're supposed to use that information? Yeah, so basically um, that calculator is going to be available on pretty much every college website you go to. 
Um, it's going to give you an idea. Um, another term you hear is uh, EFC or expected family contribution. It's going to give you an accurate picture of what your out-of-pocket costs are going to be. Um, and the calculator is also going to show you how much grant aid and student aid you might expect based on financial and academic profile. Um, some of the things they're typically going to ask for are going to be uh, income and assets from the parent, income and assets from the student, um, and also the number of children in the family and how many of those children are going to be in college at the same time. So it is a good calculator, and it gives you a, a pretty accurate picture of how much you're going to have to pay for college after any aid that you might receive. Gotcha. So I guess someone in the planning context, I mean, we talk a lot about getting into retirement and needing liquidity there, but if you've got a child that's, say, 10 years from being uh, off to college, you got to plan liquidity around that. So do you guys find that helpful and, you know, Let's figure out, I mean, I guess you don't know what school your your child's going to go to, but maybe if... You'd if, be surprised if, a lot of parents have a preconceived notion where they're going. Really? This is okay. Georgia. Okay. They have, they have favorite football teams, <laughs> they have the right? right? Well, so fair enough. UGA, and they're like, let's price out UGA, you know. Okay. <laughs> and they may be uh, surprised by how much it really costs. Yeah. So right. it, it is yeah, important yeah. to always start to plan early because college is going to be a major expense and... And like you mentioned, Jacob, a lot of people think, well, I'll just use my retirement money for that. But you don't, you don't want to do that necessarily. Um, you can borrow to go to college, but you can't borrow once you're in retirement. So it's a good idea to, like anything, start to plan early enough because college is a lot more expensive than, than you may realize. Right. You never want to be forced to sell your assets. Right. right. Like we just more. talked about, especially <laughs> in a down market. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, well... Uh, let's uh, get a let's get another question in. Um, we've got Joanne from Kennesaw. He says, "My ex and I will be settling our diver- divorce by the end of the year. I read something once about updating my insurance once we're divorced, but I can't remember what it entailed beyond beneficiary designations. What should I be looking for?" Well, Joanne. That's a really broad question because it can range anywhere from health insurance to life insurance to property and casualty insurance. Um, you know, really, you're going to have to negotiate this before the divorce is final and looking at what, you know, what's in the divorce decree and negotiate that before it's finalized. Um, you know, you may want to look at life insurance if, let's say, you know, you're the custodial spouse and someone is paying. Uh, child support, you know, in the event that person passes away, maybe you have a life insurance policy on that person where you're the beneficiary so that it pays for what they would miss out since they're no longer working, obviously. Um, Property and casualty, certainly you want to remove them from your insurance um, for your cars, your homes, et cetera. Um, you know, and in looking in at case health, they ram you with their car, right? Right, right exactly. <laughs> and you're liable in for a that, fit right? of rage. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope it's not like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, you know, looking at health insurance costs, you know, if there are children involved in the situation, you know, who's going to pay for that? Um, and splitting those costs. So there's many factors in looking at insurance and different types of insurance, and this should be discussed prior to the divorce and, and be negotiated. And I think it's okay. good, too, anytime there's a major change in your life, anytime a divorce, a child being born, a job change, getting married, you need to look at your financial documents and uh, make sure they're all up to date. Um, and I do want to add one thing, too. Shauna, 
is a certified divorce financial analyst. So if you do have any questions, uh, she'd definitely be That's the person the to talk to. to. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds like uh, Joanne's got some work to do, so she might want to enlist some assistance here. Absolutely. Very important. Absolutely. All right, guys, we'll, we'll keep moving on. Um, looks like we got one from our friend Tyler in Duluth. He says, my advisor wants to put me into a high-yield bond fund like J&K. I was initially pretty hesitant, but he said it's for a short time until he can get me into something else. Okay, I'm still pretty hesitant. Please confirm or negate my fears. Well, Tyler, um, this is kind of multifaceted. First and, for, first and foremost, um, typically, typically, and unless it's a unique situation, we do not encourage buying um, bond funds as they do not have a set maturity date. So when we like when we think about purchasing bonds, we're trying to match a liquidity need, and we want a set maturity date. So there are options out there in high yield and corporate bonds for set maturity date bond funds, but typically we're going to buy individual high quality bond securities. As far as the high yield market as a whole, of course, you noted that um, this is just for a short time. I'm not exactly sure why an advisor would be buying, you know, risky bonds for a short period of time. It seems like that's more of a money market type role, Um, but we have had high-yield exposure here at Hensler before. Um, what we're kind of seeing in the high-yield market as a whole is we're starting to see a, a few cracks. We've seen a pickup in default rates. Uh, we've seen high-yield spreads widen a little bit. And there's also, there's also this uh, uptick that we've seen in, in rates. It's not just unique to this year, but overall, so... Again, if you can get a CD at 3% and you're getting high-yield bonds at 55 6%, the, the uh, so-called risk-free security starts to look a little more attractive. And I guess, I guess uh, getting into you know, the way this cycle has seen a huge uptick in credit growth, too, I got a, a, a few things for you. What we've seen is... Right now, junk-rated companies represent 58% of total debt, total corporate debt outstanding. That's just immense. That's, that's, that's immense. Um, well, that would make sense because if, if a lot of companies are doing well and have a lot of cash position, then that would make sense that, that the ones that are lower credit are the ones that are leveraged, right? Right, but I mean, I do, it's it's up it's it's up from it's up from a level that I I believe uh, I believe was a, a a good bit lower um, if you go back to prior cycles. Gotcha. What we've seen is you know as as the Fed participated in QE and lowered rates, and we've had you know at, at one point we had rates at zero. Right, right. <laughs> everyone's going Which out the risk curve. Even if you have a good curve. cash position, why would you not leverage at that point? Uh, yeah, everyone's right. going out the risk curve, so we're lending to uh, small and mid-sized businesses that maybe aren't so established, but they're willing to pay us 4, 5, 6% yield. Well, that's great yield until they get in a position where they can't pay it back. So 
basically what I'm saying is the, the, the supply of that has grown quickly and we have a, a lot of we have a lot of companies that are just right there above junk so there's mm-hmm. the potential for more supply if you're just thinking supply and demand mm-hmm. there is some risk there two um well guys i think that kind of wraps it up with jnk um i guess the one thing i would add is the reason that you do tend to buy high yield is it has a lower duration we were worried about rates moving up now rates are not moving up at the pace that they were before so you're not so worried about duration it's easier to go out and buy and sometimes it's easy too just to focus on that yield right right but But there's a lot more risk yeah it's representative risk too right all right guys well let's let's wrap it up there um thanks for joining us this has been money talks All material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decisions and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified professional, such as a tax consultant, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.